This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Qala innama ashku bathi wa huzni ilallah. وَأَعْلَمُ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُلْ عُقْتَةً مِّن لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ أَمَّا بَعْدَ أَبْرِيْوَنَ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَبَرَكَاتُهُ Today I try to present to you some things I've come to learn about ayah number 86 of Surah Yusuf from yesterday when his sons were speaking to him harshly about him expressing his grief over Yusuf, the words actually leaked out of his mouth, Tafta Utatkuru Yusuf in ayah number 84, they lost their temper against him in ayah number 85, and now he's going to respond to that verbal abuse in ayah number 86. So that's what we're looking at today. He's actually going to respond to them and, and say the following words. He said, I only complain of my overwhelming grief and sorrow to Allah. وَأَعْلَمُ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ I know from Allah something you don't. So that's a literal translation of ayah number 86. That one statement. I'm only complaining of my overwhelming grief and sadness to Allah. And I know from Allah what you don't know. Okay, so that's the statement we're analyzing today, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, the first thing that we should uh, appreciate about this Ayah is actually how very often in Islamic culture that sometimes isn't very Islamic, this statement is uh, overly simplified and then it is used in contexts where it doesn't belong. So uh, someone is told, you know, you should only complain to Allah because the Quran says, I only take my complaints to who? To Allah. Literally, isn't that what he's saying? And I know from Allah something you don't know. Meaning I have faith in Allah. We'll get to that part of the statement a little bit later. But it's been used to say that, you know, one should not share their woes or their the problems they're going through with others and put it on them and things like that. And um, Because, you know, when the statement is in the Quran, then obviously it is a guidance from Allah Azza wa Jalla. And it's coming from the mouth of a prophet, alayhi salam. So it's an attitude that we should have towards difficult situations or if something's overwhelming you then you should just take that issue up with Allah and not anybody else. And this is actually a mischaracterization. So the first thing I'm going to do before we dive into the ayah is clear the air about that misuse of the ayah or the misplaced interpretation, that, or, or really not interpretation, but application, wrong application of the ayah. And what problems it can create. You see, Allah Azza wa Jalla says in the Qur'an, قَدْ جَاءَتْكُمْ مَوْعِذَةٌ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ وَشِفَاءٌ لِمَا فِي الصُّدُورِ a counsel and healing has come to you from your master and something that heals the hearts. The fun, one of the fundamental purposes of the Qur'an in the way that it guides us. We all know that it's a guidance, yeah? But in what way does it guide us? There are lots of dimensions of guidance. Guidance isn't just do this and don't do this. Those are guiding our actions. But then there's guiding our thoughts. Then there's guiding our feelings. Then there's guiding our hearts. Um, so there are different aspects of guidance and the Qur'an addresses every one of those complex dimensions because human beings are not robots. You can't just tell human beings, do this and don't do this and expect it will happen. You guys tell your kids to clean the kitchen all the time. It doesn't happen, right? There's other factors involved. 
There's sometimes human beings need motivation or something's holding them from doing something. There's a lot more complicated stuff going on behind the scenes. And doesn't he know who he created? He created a complex creature, a creature with a soul, a heart, a, you know, a, a, an array of emotions, all of which are having chemical reactions inside of ourselves before what you see on the outside comes out. And Allah knows all of it and he guides all of it. So this is an opportunity for me to remind you of something that, and remind myself of something that often we overlook. And this is a statement I've made before, but I think it needs to be refreshed, at least for myself, it needs refreshing. You know, when somebody, when a scientist speaks, they say that he's speaking from the scientific perspective, right? Uh, a doctor speaks, he's speaking from the medical perspective. A uh, philosopher speaks, he's from the philosophical perspective. A historian speaks, and we say he's speaking from the historical perspective, right? Uh, someone from a minority group speaks, he's speaking the minority perspective. Someone, you know, versed in politics is speaking, they're giving the political perspective, the sociological perspective, the economic perspective, 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 right? And when someone speaks from the Qur'an, then we say that's the religious perspective or that's the Islamic perspective, right? That's the spiritual perspective, etc. So we have perspective means there's a certain lens from which someone's looking at something. That's literally what the word perspective means, right? So if I'm standing here looking that way, I see a certain angle of the wall. I see the light falling on in a certain way. But if I was standing over there from a different perspective, I'm looking at the same wall and the same shelf or the same corner, but I see light falling on it differently. I see a different angle of it, right? So human beings come at things from a certain angle. And of course, the sciences and the expertise that we have, they give us a certain kind of angle. So whatever we're analyzing, whatever we're thinking about, we're looking at it from the perspective of our human knowledge and our human experience, which is why no two of us have had exactly the same life. So we can think about the same event and have two different opinions, what we call two different perspectives on the same thing, because our lenses are different, right? Now, the, the issue is when we say that there is a certain kind of perspective, automatically you're saying there's a limit. I mean, you can only see it from this angle, which means you can't consider all the angles, right? You don't see, and even if you saw all the angles, those are just the outside angles. But what is the reality of something on the inside? Because there's a, there's a scene, you know, visible element, the wall looks fine, but on the inside, it may be deteriorating. And I can't see that. Right, there could be bugs inside, and I, I don't know that because I don't see the problem. And doesn't matter what perspective I take, unless I do an X-ray examination or some kind of scan or breakthrough and look, take a look inside, I won't know. The Quran isn't just offering us for for Muslim, for a believer. The Quran isn't just offering us the religious perspective. The Quran is offering us Allah's light, and Allah's light is Nuru Samawati wal Ard. It's the light of the skies and the earth. In other words, it illuminates everything. It's not limited to a perspective. Allah sees, you know, He sees and He's not seen. Right? And He is, when He speaks, He has taken, think, think of someone, for example, that can take the psychological perspective, the spiritual perspective, the biological perspective, the historical perspective, the social perspective, the, psycholo the, the political perspective, the economic perspective, and all of them at the same time. And then they say something. Right? That's humanly impossible. I mean, no matter how much expertise you get, there are some 
you know, some dimensions you just can't encompass. We cannot encompass all knowledge. This is why Allah says, Above everyone who has knowledge, there's somebody who has more. There's someone who has more knowledge. But who's more knowledgeable than all? Allah Azza wa Jal. So Allah isn't just giving us a religious point of view in the Quran. Because this is important because sometimes in discussion, we bring the Quran into the conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand what Islam says. But let me tell you what science says, or let me tell you what psychologists say, or let me tell you what my feelings tell you. As if that's just one perspective, but let's look at other perspectives. This is the wrong, ironically, the wrong perspective on looking at the Qur'an and looking at the Word of Allah. In fact, the way we should look at the Qur'an is it sheds light on all of our perspectives. So you can have whatever expertise you have and look at it from that angle. But whatever angle you're looking at it from, it, you know, when, when you look at something and the lights are off, it looks a certain way. Or the lights are tinted, it looks a certain way. But when you turn the proper lights on, it's a completely different thing. Right? The reality of it changes. It's the same as when we look at something from whatever, scientific, historical, you know, analytical perspective, whatever analytical perspective we look at something as, when we add Allah's word to that dimension, we're adding the light of Allah and now our perspective is illuminated. This is one of the reasons the Qur'an is called light. Because the purpose of light, scientifically speaking, is something that helps us see. Without light, vision is impossible. In fact, the ancient Arabs, one of the words for the eye was actually nur, light. If somebody's light went away, actually meant they went blind. right? Because the light of the outside goes inside here, and it's only then that vision happens, which is why it's impossible to see in pitch black dark. Right? So the, the idea being the Qur'an is actually what illuminates. It gives light to all perspectives. It's not a limited sense of the word. Now coming back to what we're going to talk about today. Allah did not tell, or the, the words of Yaqub salam are not a universal statement that speaks on behalf of Allah to all slaves under all circumstances that whenever they have a complaint or an issue, they should take that issue up only and only with Allah. If Allah says in the Qur'an, take your complaints only to me, that's completely different. But when he's telling us the, the remarkable story of a, a, a man who has been beaten السلام, emotionally, psychologically, he has been tormented for decades. For the huge, for a huge chunk of his life, he has gone through torment at the hands of those that are supposed to love him, at the hands of those that are supposed to be his hope in the future. Then there's a certain context and there's a certain perspective that if we don't appreciate that, we think this is speaking to everyone, no matter what their perspective is. You understand what I'm saying? There's a limit, there's, there's Allah Azza wa Jalla has placed this in a certain context. So let's first understand that context. And to, in order to help you understand this context, I'm going to take you to a different story by comparison to help you understand why this doesn't work. That interpretation, that you should never complain to anyone about except to Allah. That's what this ayah is saying, is not true. And how do we know it's not true? Our Prophet ﷺ is a remarkable example of patience. The Makkan era, if you study it carefully, it's mind-boggling what he went through and what he put up with. And you know, here you have Yaqub being tormented by his sons. He was tormented far worse by the, his elders, his peers, and virtually everyone in that society. 
And so he's, our Prophet ﷺ has been through a lot. By the time he gets to Medina, he's been through even more. And after a couple of battles with those that he was raised with, Uhud, Badr and Uhud, and the kind of losses that he's physically suffered, emotionally suffered, the, to, to watch his own uncle's body mutilated, etc. He's been through a lot. This is not a small amount of stuff that our Prophet ﷺ has went through from childhood until now. Now, having understood all of that, we get to a point in his life where he was given a, he was given a test unlike any other. And that's when his wife, our mother, Aisha radiallahu anha, was falsely accused and slandered. And for over a month, the city of Medina was paralyzed. Right? And I'll come back to her in a moment, because I want to tell you two stories, one about her and one about him, Ali So let's talk about her first. She did something very similar to what Yaqub did. And I'll create the puzzle, the riddle in your mind, we'll solve it at the end. When she was slandered, and the Prophet ﷺ came to her, to her, you know, because she has been sick, you know, and uh, you know, in the narration in Bukhari, she says, I asked to stay with my parents when I found out what was being said about me. She couldn't even face the Prophet. ﷺ. How how can you know this be even how can he even think this of me? Is that even is that what he thinks of me? She doesn't know. She doesn't know where she stands. So she's, you know, asked to be moved to her parents' house. And she did. So when she's there, they thought that she's going to cry so much that she's gonna, her, her liver is going to tear open. Right? So, and she says, describes two straight days that, you know, I didn't get the relief that my eyes could cool off with even a little bit of sleep. Two, 48 hours have gone by. We're hitting 72-hour mark now where she's continuously, nonstop, not eating, not drinking, just crying. That's what she's doing. And there are people that can die like that. And at the very least, they might even, you know, uh, lose their sight, as we saw here, right? When the Prophet ﷺ finally came and sat across from her, and he hasn't sat across from her in over a month, right? So this is the first time he's sitting across from her. He used to avoid talking to her. And if you've heard me talk about that story, then you know why. It's a remarkable, you know, backdrop to that. But we're not talking about that today. When he sat across from her and he said, well, you know, if you are innocent, in kunti bari'a then Allah will prove that you're innocent. So after the Prophet introduced himself or introduced the conversation, praised Allah, took the shahada, said, Something has been said to me about you that you've done this and this and this. And if you are in fact innocent, then Allah will prove that you are innocent. That was the first major statement of the Prophet to her. And if you have dabbled into some sin, if you slipped up, then admit your fault and ask Allah's forgiveness. Those are the two options the Prophet ﷺ put in front of her. She was absolutely devastated when that happened. How could her husband even say, if you're innocent? Aren't you supposed to say, I know you're innocent? You're my husband. You know me better than anyone else. You're even considering the possibility that I'm not innocent? So just hearing the words, if, from the Prophet's mouth, was absolutely devastating from the point of view of a wife, yes? Because a wife hearing from the husband, if you are, means he's got some thought that it's a possibility. How dare he even consider that possibility? Even though we're talking about Rasulullah wasallam, from a general perspective of a wife, to hear that from a husband can be absolutely debilitating. Right? And she says when he said that, the shock of it, after he was done talking, the shock of it was so much, my tears dried up. Like, even my tears stopped and said, what? That's what happened to her. 
And then she turned to her father and her mother to respond, Ajib Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi maqad, answer the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's amazing. She didn't say answer him. She said answer the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which is amazing about this, this mother of ours. Because even though he said something that hurt her as a wife, he also said something that gave her relief as a prophet. Because what did the prophet say? If you're innocent, who will prove that you're innocent? Allah will prove that you're innocent. Which means this is coming from the mouth of a prophet, which means it's absolutely true. And she knows that she's innocent or no? She knows that, right? So she now has a guarantee from Allah that Allah will prove that she is Innocent. She didn't know how things are going to turn out before the statement. But now that the Prophet has said those words, which as a wife hurt insanely, but as a believer are an amazing relief at the same time. You get that? But the relief isn't coming from the Prophet. The Prophet is a human being and her husband. The relief is coming from who? According to the Prophet, is coming from Allah. So what happens? She's so upset with him as her husband. And she's so upset with her parents that they didn't, couldn't defend her as her parents that she lashed out and she spoke. And when she was done talking, she herself says, ala I turned my back and cuddled up on my bed. Like I'm done talking to you people. This reminds me of a remarkable man who couldn't talk to his family and he turned his back. He turned his back. You remember that? Now, there seems to be some parallel. We'll come back to that parallel. But now let's talk about the Prophet for a moment. And we'll come back to the parallel of Aisha to understand this ayah, to gain perspective. Our Prophet in a different incident, a little bit later on, uh, he saw a dream that we're going to go to Hajj. And this was not even a year, or maybe just a little over a year after we were all almost killed. The Muslims were all almost entirely killed by the invasion of the Meccans and legions of other tribes that joined together with the Meccans, some 10 to 18,000 that came to annihilate the entire city of Medina. This was not a battle on the battlefield. They were going to go into the city and kill every man, woman, and child. That was the plan. And then take over their properties or whatever. Easy money. Let's get rid of the Islam problem and we'll get some free property at the same time. The Meccans were able to, to convince several tribes. The Quran calls them Al-Ahzab. And this incident was so big that an entire surah came just to address this called Surah Al-Ahzab. The surah of the different factions, the legions that got together. Now, Allah protected the Muslims from that near annihilation. Yeah, And not a year after the Prophet sees a dream that he's going to go to Mecca. And he's going to go make Hajj. Um, wait, Mecca, Hajj. Aren't those the people who came to kill us in Medina? I mean, they left their homes to kill every last one of us. And now we're going to go to Hajj where exactly? Back to them? Not even a year after? And they failed in their attempt. So they're burning. They're, they're so thirsty for blood. And when you go to Hajj, you don't take your swords and your shields. You go in unarmed ihram. The only thing you take is maybe a dagger to, to slaughter the animal. That's not enough for a battlefield. And the Prophet says he's seen a dream. And believers are such believers that they don't question, wait, Ya Rasulullah, that's, 
That's the worst enemy we've ever had. We've gone to battle with them twice. You want to go over to the dead lion's den unarmed because you saw a dream? 1800 of them go. Some narrations say between, you know, somewhere around 1800, leave with the Prophet. Makkans find out that he's coming. And they say, well, if he gets here, it'll look bad that we killed all of them because we get pilgrims all the time and we're known to keep pilgrims safe. So even if they're our enemy, they're safe while they're in sacred land. That's what keeps people from attacking us is we don't attack nobody once they're inside Mecca. So we should solve this problem and kill them on the way. Khalid ibn Walid, that same Khalid ibn Walid who turned the battle around in Uhud and caused great harm, became Muslim later. Khalid ibn Walid leaves with a legion to come meet the unarmed Muslims on the road to Mecca so he can kill all of them while they're unarmed. That's actually what's going on. The Muslim scout finds out that they're coming. And they take a, a different road. Like they're on foot basically, right? And they're, you know, several, you know, uh, there are over a thousand of them or nearly 2,000 of them. They take a valley that is not suited for human beings to travel. And it's, they, animals don't even go through it. But it's a secret path to Mecca. And if you go through it, you're going to get cut. You're going to get cuts and bruises. You know, jagged rock. If you guys have ever been to a beach, sometimes the rocks are smooth and you can jump from, hop from one to another. But sometimes the rocks, even if you put your foot on it, you'll get a cut. It's that kind of rock. And it's burning hot desert rock. And they're going through it all the way to Mecca, getting cut along the way, scrapes along the way, you know, falling injury. Like the people describe that their shoes were melting. Others describe that their feet were pools of blood by the time they got to the field of Hudaybiyah. Why am I telling you this story? They get there, the Makkans find out it's too late, they've already entered sacred land, we can't kill them now, it'll look bad politically for us. Not because they like Muslims, but they've got to protect themselves politically. Long story short, they say, okay, fine, we won't kill you, and you can come for Hajj, but next year, not this year. Don't come this year, come next year. And they make this other treaty, it's called the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Every one of the items in that treaty, all the things they agreed on, go against the Muslims. Every one of them. Starting with... The treaty said, Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, they said, no, 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 cross off messenger of Allah. We don't accept you as messenger of Allah. Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. And the Sahaba were in an uproar. What? We're going to cross that word? That's never going to... And the Prophet said, stop, just let them cross. So now already the Muslim blood is boiling. We walked all this way. <laughs> and now we're being told we can't. And other things happen. That's another story that if you haven't gone through... I've talked about and it's it's an important one. But here's the part that I wanted to highlight for today's ayah. The Prophet agreed to all of their conditions. All of their conditions. His companions who have followed him into battle, they followed him staring at death in the face, for the first time are extremely frustrated with the decision that the Prophet has made. How how did he just sign off on this? How did he agree that if one of us being tortured in Mecca escapes, we have to send him back? How did he agree to that? Umar radiallahu anhu came to the Prophet and said, Alasna ala al-haq? Aren't we the people that stand by the truth? Didn't you say you saw a dream? This is Umar talking to the Prophet And for the first time you find that Abu Bakr al-Siddiq did not stop him in his tracks. Not immediately. They had a conversation a little bit later on. 
The Prophet says, since we're not going to make Hajj, the ritual of Hajj is you're supposed to slaughter the animal. You're supposed to shave your head, slaughter the animal. Yeah. So the Prophet says to these crowds of thousands, he says, shave your heads, slaughter the animal. To all of his companions. And what are these companions? How does Quran describe them? Sami'na wa ata'na. We hear and we obey. You've heard that phrase? That describes those people. Allah is pleased with them, they are pleased with Allah. Right? These are those people. These are the people that are, you know, they are with him no matter what. They migrate with him. They leave their home for him. These are those people. He says to them, shave your heads, slaughter the animal. Not one of them gets up. Nobody listens to the Prophet and they're all sitting in front of him. He's telling them, all of them, to do this. Pin drop silence. Nobody's saying anything. Nobody's moving. He says it again. He says it again. No movement. He goes back in his tent. One of our mothers, Umm Salama, his wife, is in the tent. Now at this point, the Prophet ﷺ is also devastated. Because he has never experienced from his most loyal followers that have been through him, with him through everything. He've never seen he's never seen this behavior. He's never seen them avoiding eye contact like this. This is new. This is a different kind of devastation for who? For Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You would think the ayah, the, I mean, this this ayah that we're talking about today was revealed in Makkah. So the Prophet knows this better than you and I do. Yeah? And what does this ayah say? Innama ashku wa huzni ilallah. I only take my complaint, my grief, my overwhelming sadness. Who do I take it to? I only take my complaints to Allah and I know what you don't know. Right? So you would think in this moment, he should complain to who? Because he knows this ayah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You just complain to Allah. He goes inside the tent and he tells Um Salama, our mother, they're not listening to me. Who did he talk to? Allah or her? He talked to her. And she said, you do it. You shave your head. They'll follow. Don't worry about it. She consoles him. Tells him what to do. And he goes, Rahmatan lil alameen. And he does it and they quietly follow. And they do it. But we, this was a moment of great, you know, anxiety for the Prophet and the ayah says, I should only take my complaints to who? To Allah. If I have a problem, I should take it to who? To Allah. There's clearly something different. Because the, the, the one who is best capable of applying an ayah of the Qur'an is the one Allah gifted the Qur'an to to begin with. The, the living Qur'an. Sallallahu alayhi wa So what's missing in our understanding? You see, Allah made human beings in need of each other. That's a reality. We're called uns. We come from uns. Insan comes from uns. Someone needing and giving affection. A child needs the affectionate hugs of you know, his or her mother. They need the encouragement of their father. They need the protection and support and understanding of their spouse. Human beings need these things. Sometimes you need a friend. Sometimes you need to talk to someone. Human beings were not created to live in isolation. We're just not wired that way. We have these emotions that need expressing. We need them. Now, Musa salam was standing in front of, was speaking directly to Allah on the mountain. And Allah says, I've got your back. 
basically. And he says, can I have my brother though? <laughs> can I have my brother? He'll back me up. Allah could say to him, I'm not enough. I'll back you up. The, the, the master of the skies and the earth is with you. And he says, no, uh, he'll reinforce my back. He'll, part, he'll be a partner in my mission. Allah is telling you, Allah is with you. Why? Because your spiritual connection to Allah does not mean you don't need a connection to human beings. Your, your connection with Allah doesn't mean you no longer need support, human support, family support, support of a loved one, support of a dear friend. Th those two things are not mutually exclusive. And so when you have no support system, when you find the people around you are not a source of support, they're not some, or they're people that you're in a situation where they just can't understand where you're coming from. You feel cornered to the point where no matter what you say, they will take it the wrong way. You feel like you can't communicate with them. Even if they're good people, sometimes that happens, yes or no. Even if they're good people, you think you can't communicate with them. It is in those moments that this ayah applies. Well, never even when you think you're completely alone and completely misunderstood, you're never alone. You can take your complaints to who? Allah. Yaqub understands that my sons are not a source of support. And my grief has become overwhelming. But I still have Allah. Aisha radiallahu anha has the best parents and the most incredible husband on the face of the earth. But in that moment, our mother feels that she's not able to communicate with them in a way they'll understand. She's cornered. She's frustrated. Because him, what he said as a husband, is something too difficult for her to process. So in that moment, what does she do? She turns back. And she says, and in that moment, I knew, and I knew as I turned my back, that Allah is going to prove my innocence. So what does she do? She turned away from people. Even the best people, but she turned towards who? She turned towards Allah. In fact, when the ayah of relief came, the ayat of if came, and the Prophet ﷺ was sitting outside, and his, his, he started sweating in a winter night, and he called for her name, Ya Aisha, Ammallahu, Faqad barra'aki, Aisha, listen up, Allah proved that you're innocent. The ayat came down. And her mother came to her and said, Qumi lehi, go get up and go to him. She said, no. لا أحمد إلا الله عز وجل لا أقوم إليه I'm not getting up and going to him as a husband right she says I'm not thanking anyone except Allah why? because I had taken my complaint to who? Allah he can't solve my problem he's just human I love him but he can't solve this this can only be solved by Allah she understood that there are situations that a human being might find themselves, and I, I'm telling you this, this, these two contrasting stories. In one story, you have Yaqub salam, a remarkable human being, surrounded by a terrible circumstance, unsupportive people. But in the other story, Aisha anha is surrounded by the most supportive people you can ever have. But their reaction is the same. To turn only to Allah. What does that tell us? That tells us this has nothing to do with whether those people are good or bad. This has to do with whether or not you have to acknowledge whether or not your cries will be understood by the people you're talking to or not. 
And if they have limits And sometimes they have limits Because they refuse to have understanding Like the brothers of Yusuf And sometimes they, are, they have limits Because they're simply human beings And when, even, even in those circumstances It's not an insult to them But you still have to turn back to Allah You still have Allah Now One really interesting caveat here It's kind of mind-boggling When she was upset When he said if Right This is not about her But still Since I brought it up You know what she said She quoted the Quran She said I don't know what to say to you people And part of her speech She said Wallahi la ajidu lakum mathalan I swear to God I can't even describe you people Standing in front of me Except by the words of Yusuf The father of Yusuf That he said to his brothers فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ وَاللَّهُ الْمُسْتَعَانَ عَلَى مَا تَصِفُونَ Beautiful patience is all I got. Allah is, Allah is the only one who can help against the creative lies you people make. Those words came out of her mouth, citing Surah Yusuf in that moment. And I was like, whoa, that's heavy. <laughs> so you have an incident with Rasulullah where he could have cited Surah Yusuf and not talked to his wife. And you have another incident where his wife, our mother, it finds herself in this corner and understands that this ayah applies. You see that? This is the this is the situation she finds herself in. Okay. So anyway, that's a little bit about you know that perspective. I was supposed to talk to you about this ayah today. I haven't even started. Okay. I want to read to you a little bit about what complaint in Arabic means. Shaka. Shaka yashku. Actually, mishkat is um, in older homes, you got like a nook, like in the wall, they make an indent where you can stick a vase or a lamp or something like that. And it's an arch. So it's not a window. It's not a, and the purpose of it is when you, when you light the lamp, it hits the curve of the arch and spreads the light all over the house, right? That's called a mishkat. So any dent in the wall that's not a window is actually called a mishkat. So, Every or every indent in a wall that is not a window is called a mishkat from the same origin for the word complaint, which we'll get to in a second, right? Shaka rajulu amrahu. And by the way, shaka also means to a container, like a vessel, like a leather pouch, is also called a, a, a mishkat or a shakwa actually. Shaka rajulu amrahu ahasa bi alamin aw naqsin matlubin lahu anhu. They say a person has done shakwa the word that we're looking at, about his situation, when a person feels pain or feels the, lack, feels the lack of something that is needed and expresses it. Okay, so pain or lack of a need and you express pain or lack of a need. So a simple application would be a baby crying because they're hungry, right? They're complaining because of a lack of a need, of food, right? Or pain because maybe they feel scared or they feel hurt. A child feels hurt. So their crying would be a kind of shikaya, or it could be shakwa. Okay? So that's the word to complain. In other words, I'm taking the pain I feel, and I'm taking the loss that I feel, and I'm going to talk about it with Allah. So that's it's a little different than complaining in the, in the raw sense, right? I, I feel hurt, and I feel loss, and I want to talk about that hurt and loss, and I'm going to take that conversation to Allah, Ya Allah, this is the pain I feel, this is the loss I feel. Now that sounds a lot more beautiful than saying I'm going to complain to Allah. You understand that, right? So that's why I thought the etymology of this word may be helpful to first give us a level of adab, a level of etiquette 
in how we're about to be communicating with Allah. This is not, Ya Allah, you know, seriously? It had to, we had to have a heat wave? Come on. <laughs> not like that. Not like that. You can talk about your pain. You can talk about the heat wave. You can. Ya Allah, it's extremely hot, my Rabb. But who am I going to tell except you? Only you can bring relief. You you talked about what you're feeling, and you acknowledge that he's the only one who can bring relief. That's shakwa. Now he says two words, bathi wa huzni. And here I'm going to read some stuff to you about bath. Bath and huzn are two words for sadness, basically. The most generic word in Arabic for sadness is actually huzn. We've talked about that before. Uh, it has to do with dried up earth and you know earth that's become tough and rigid. Who's been been through a lot. And from it we get the word sadness, meaning someone who's gone through a lot and developed those kinds of feelings. But what about this word bath? Because that's the first word he used. Uh, and they're used together. So in a very terrible translation, I would say, I, I only complain about my sadness and my sadness to Allah. <laughs> so there's two different words for sadness. Yeah. So there must be a difference between them. When they both come together, the point is that they are in fact different from each other. Right? So, الْبَثُّ فِي الْأَصْلِ إِثَارَةُ الشَّيْءِ وَتَفْرِيقُهُ كَبَثِّ الرِّيحِ التُرَابِ وَاسْتُعْمِلَ فِي الْغَمِّ الَّذِي لَا يُطِيقُ صَاحِبُهُ عَلَيْهِ كَأَنَّهُ الثَّقُلَ عَلَيْهِ فَلَا يُطِيقُ حَمْلَهُ وَحْدَهُ فَيُفَرِّقُهُ عَلَى مَنْ يُعِينُهُ فَهُوَ مَصْطَرٌ بِمَعْنَ الْمَفْرُولِ وَفِيهِ استعارة تصريحية. Okay. Bath originally actually means to spread. He spread out many men and many women from that single male and female. To spread out is bath. Okay, yabuthuhu fit turab to spread in the to to to, to cast off in the uh, you know in the dirt. Um, so mabthuth like watakunu what is it? Yawma yakunu nasu kal farashil mabthuth. The day on which people will be like locusts scattering. Mabthuth from the same batha, the same word that he used, right? So. But the, or, the origin is something spreading like when the wind spreads dirt and it's used for sadness. So it's one of the words, one of the many in Arabic for sadness. But sadness for someone who is not able to bear the burden of that sadness. So it's gotten too heavy for him. So he's not able to carry it. So he spreads it to others. So in other words, they let it out. I can't take it anymore myself, so it bursts out of them, like the spreading, and that's when that kind of sadness is called, uh, it's called uh, bath. So, so one meaning now is when spreadness, sadness spreads to others from you, right, or comes out of you. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. وَجُوِّزَ أَنْ يَكُونَ بِمَعْنَ الْفَاعِلِ أَيْ الْغَمَّ الَّذِي بَثَّ الْفِكْرَ وَفَرَّقَهُ it also means, it could be in the meaning of uh, fa'il, what that means simply is a kind of sadness that makes your thoughts go all over the place. Okay, or kind of anxiety, you can even call it anxiety, that makes your thoughts go all over the place. In fact, um, there is some that have made a distinction between bath and huzn, and in that bath is actually uh, when you're worried about what could happen in the future too. And you're worried about the unknown. Right, so there's like they when they talk about this with Yaqub alayhi salam, they say that um, first of all, he is still grieving over the loss of Yusuf, right? And that's huzn, 
that sadness over the loss. But he also gets all kinds of terrifying thoughts about what he may be going through. You, I don't know what happened to Yusuf. What's, what's going on with him? And you get the most terrible thoughts in your mind. If you have a loved one and you can't find them, or you call them and they're not picking up their phone, or their phone's gone dead and it's been an hour, you get all kinds of terrible thoughts running in your head, right? So the mind goes in every direction. The mind spreads in every direction. It's experiencing bath. It's experiencing this feeling. So the, the, this spread of feelings in every direction can also be called bath as a result of anxiety, where the mind just wanders and has terrible thoughts and, and, and makes things worse, the, the feelings worse. And whatever it may be, that you know, these people said this to him uh, to complain. Actually, I don't want to read this part. I want to read this part, um, the etymology part, before I get to this part. Uh, so another distinction. So one is, one implication is when your mind goes in every direction. Because of anxiety, right? So that's one. Two is تَفْرِيقُ الشَّيْءِ I'll read the, the corresponding piece from the later page. Um, بَثْ is a sadness that somebody could not contain inside, so it came out that they're feeling this way. It spread out of them. Okay, so it's similar to the first thing I said, spreading. But in one was your thoughts are all over the place. But now it was inside you and nobody knew that it was inside you. So long as it was inside, it was huzn, it was sadness. But when it was expressed and it just spread out, the, 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 the sound wave spread out of you, then literally it became bath. Okay, so an overwhelming sadness that is no, uh, one is no longer able to contain is called bath. So that's the second distinction. Now, why is this important? Because when he's saying two things, I'm I'm taking my I'm expressing the pain and loss that comes from my my sadness, and it's come out of my mouth now to Allah. Bathi wa huzni. So why the two terms are being used? There are multiple possibilities. I'll share them with you because each of them is very beautiful. I find them very beautiful. Number one, I've been holding in sadness for a long time. And you never imagine Yaqub expressing this in some form to his sons. Yeah? I have held the grief of what you people have done with my child for a long time. I haven't said anything. I just said Sabrun Jamil so many years ago. But now it's come to a boil where I can't... Now that you've done this, and now you're acting in this way, I couldn't help, but I'm just human. It came out. These words came out of me. You know why this is a, a beautiful interpretation? Because previously in the ayat, Allah Azza wa Jal described Fahuwa Kazim, he was swallowing the entire time. He was keeping it right here, and it would not come out of his mouth. He wouldn't let it out. So what that would mean, and then Huzn, the next word, so the expression of my sadness and my sadness. I take the expression of my sadness and my sadness to Allah. Right? What would that mean? That this moment where I lost my composure and I actually said, oh, my loss over Yusuf. Those words that came out of my mouth, that boiling out, that coming out, that and the sadness I have never spoken about, that pain that I've been swallowing for so many years, all of them I only take to Allah. 
When I open my mouth, I'm talking to Allah. And when I never open my mouth and my heart was crying, not my tongue, that was also to Allah. It's as if he's turning to his sons and saying, you think I'm talking to you? Do you think when I cry out for Yusuf, that I'm talk- I turn my back from you? I wasn't having a conversation with you. And even in this moment, when I cried out and the words came out of my mouth, that was a conversation I was having with Allah. And by the way, my heart's been having a conversation about my sadness with him for a long time. Bath and huzn. It's very powerful. He's, he's telling them that they're not, they, he's, he knows that they are not worth this conversation. He's too wise to know that this is, not a, this is not a complaint he wants to wage with them. And this is a wisdom that I want to pause and have us think about. Sometimes we get into arguments or you know, we complain to people about our pain. And those people are so insensitive to us and so dismissive of our pain. And they get angry at us instead. But we're not very smart. So a week later, we complain to the same people again in the same way. And they are dismissive and abusive towards us in the same exact way. And you say never again. And a month later, you do it again. And two months later, you do it again. And every time you say, I'm never going to talk to you again. You know what? This is not worth the conversation having with you. You go back again and again and again. And they are hurtful every time. But you keep going back for more. Yaqub understood they're not the right people for this conversation. They don't have the sensitivity in them to understand. I don't want the sin piled on them that I, I spoke to them about a pain they caused and they're even further abusive to me. I don't want them to drown in further sin. I'm going to do them a favor and not talk to them about it. This is not just, you're not worth my time, get out of my face. But rather, when you love someone and you know they're wrong and you know talking to them will make them even more obnoxious, do them a favor and do, give their angels a break so they don't write more bad deeds for them and don't have that conversation with them. Help them out because they don't have control over their tongues. They don't have control over their behavior. So you know what? Your silence towards them is better. This is actually a wisdom from Yaqub And even if this came out, I didn't intend to bring it out. I didn't mean to bring it out. It just came out of me. And that complaint of that is to Allah, not to you. Let me, let me just be clear. It's also telling us that he's telling them, you think you're the people I would talk to about this? But you should know I've been talking to Allah about this a long time. Since you want to come at me about Yusuf and how I still miss him. Yeah, I do. And Allah knows that I do. And the pain is still real. The second meaning of this, also very powerful, is similar to um, a dua of the Prophet wasallam. So I'm going to read that dua of the Prophet wasallam and then explain what the second meaning could be. Allahumma ilayka ashku da'fa quwwati wa qillata hilati O Allah, I express... My 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 or I take my complaint or I take my, my uh, you know my issue up with you about the weakness of my strength, my lack of strength, and my inability to plan or my inability to have my my little support. Wahawani nas and being placed in a situation where we where I'm being humiliated in front of people. Ya arham rahimin the one who loves and cares more than all any who can love and care. Anta arhamur rahimin. You are the most loving and caring of all those that can love and care. Anta rabbul mustadafin. You are the master of those that have been made weak in the land or who has been who have been weakened. Anta rabbi. You are my master. Ilaman takiluni. Who are you leaving me to? In whose hands are you leaving me? Ila aduwin yatajahamuni. Are you leaving me in the hands of an enemy that's going to you know speak ill of me or scowl at me? Am ila aduwin malaktahu amri. 
Or are you leaving me in the hands of an enemy that has control over what they can do with me? And if, if it's the case that all of this is happening to me, but while this is happening to me, you're not angry with me, then I don't care. So Rasulullah says, people are humiliating me, people are attacking me, people are physically hurting me, but so long as you're not angry, if this is not because you're angry with me, then I don't care. However, the relief that comes from you could would be really good for me too. Ya Allah, I can take it so long as you're not angry. But I'm also human, Ya Allah, give me some relief too. You see both of them at the same time? And then he says, I seek, I cling to the light of your face by which the light of the sky, the, the skies and the earth are lit. And all darknesses are illuminated by it. And based on it, the, the matters of this world and the next are made right. And I seek, I cling to you and I seek refuge from the possibility that your anger should come down on me. Or your, your harshness should be unleashed against me. You have my absolute surrender until you are pleased. And there is no power or authority of any kind except by your hand, by you. This is the Prophet ﷺ speaking when he's overwhelmed by circumstances. Of his own, it started with, I, I complain to you of my own weakness to be able to bear this situation. And now we're learning, what does it mean for a Prophet? The greatest slaves of Allah on earth are the Prophets. What happens with them? What do they say when they're overwhelmed with trouble? How do they complain to Allah? This is like, what does it mean? I only take my complaint to Allah. The Prophet is explaining when he takes his complaint to Allah. What is, it, what is he complaining of? He tells Allah, the only one I can express to is you and I express to you that I am too weak to bear this. I don't have enough support. Ya Allah, I'm, you're my strength. You're the one who sends help. I'm weak. I'm weak, my Rabb, I'm weak, my Rabb, I'm weak. Express your weakness, express your vulnerability to Allah. Open up before Allah. Let your guard down before Allah. Now, it is as if, now listen to this, this is the second interpretation of Yaqub Listen to this carefully. I haven't said this before. I know this is going long, but I'm going to finish this ayah today. Because it's all coherent and then I'm going to start over and it's going to be like ice cold. So I, I'm iron's hot. You can take a nap and listen to this later. That's fine too. But let me finish. Okay. So that's what I'm going to do. And this is really cool because you're not in front of me in a live audience where you're like sneaking out of the masjid one at a time. So I could talk to a camera forever. <laughs> but let me wake you up a little. Let me tell you a little uh, situation. So I read comments for fun sometimes. Just for fun. And... um there was this comment, brother, could you please tell us the reference of the ayah and surah that you're talking about? Ah, look at that comment like, for real? No, seriously? What surah are you talking about? Uh, what ayah? Oh, it's this way. Uh, right there. How about this? How about this? This was even better. Somebody said, could you put the ayah reference on the screen? What screen are you looking at, boo? 
How much you want me to make that bigger than my face? I could. I thought that was hilarious. But anyway, I'm gonna go back to yeah, Islamic stuff. Okay. So the second interpretation, which I think is so incredibly powerful, and this is something that was highlighted by my beloved Sahib Saeed. Uh, you know, he thought of this, and I thought this is an incredible thought. I'm gonna hold on to it. And he says, But it's not among the Mufassirin. I was like, Yes, I know, but you said it. So I'm gonna give you credit and if people come after you, that's also cool. Uh, but inshallah, no. It's, it's actually really beautiful. Bath can mean the expression of sadness. And if it's used in the mustar sense, then he's telling Allah, Ya Allah, I, take to, I complain to you that I was too weak to hold it in and the words came out of my mouth and these people heard it. And look at what they do when they hear words. Ya Allah, I put myself in this situation because I couldn't bear it inside myself. And these words came out. Ya Allah, let me become stronger so I don't utter words like that again. Because I don't want to put myself in this situation. So he's actually complaining to Allah that he wasn't strong enough to keep the words inside. And then on top of that, my sadness. Why? Because sometimes when we're overwhelmed, we end up saying something that we know the people that are listening, they will use against us. Right? And we shouldn't have said it. We're better, not, better off not saying it. Some things are meant to be said to Allah, and not to them. Or not in their presence. He wasn't even saying it to them. He was saying it to Allah, but they overheard. And look at how they exploded, right? So he's turning to Allah and saying, Ya Allah, how could I have been so weak? And in, in both of them, he's acknowledging, first of all, his overwhelming circumstance, and second of all, his lack of strength. Ya Allah, I ask you for even more composure. And that's what tells us, the, you know, one of the most incredible personalities in the Qur'an that demonstrates composure, is asking Allah for more composure, tells us that there's no such thing as we have enough composure, <laughs> or we can handle it. There's no we can handle it. We take, we, we, you can be tough around people, you have to be weak in front of Allah. You can be patient and mature, you can be the you know the head, you can be the you can be the prophet. Other people come to you and ask you. This is the case of a prophet, Ali Salam. But when you come before Allah, you come weak. You take to him what, what you can't bear. So as he says this to them, I, yesterday I mentioned to you that he drew a boundary. Uh, what did I mean by that? They started talking to him in this way, and immediately he said. This is not a conversation with you. And he ignored what they said. Do you notice that? They said, you're going to keep mentioning Yusuf? And he didn't bring up Yusuf. He didn't say, don't take his name out of your mouth. I know what you did with it. None of this is happening. Why? Because he understands my boundary with them is some conversations are not worth having with them. I will not have, I refuse to have these conversations with you. I will walk away instead. And if you must know, I was talking to Allah. What do you mean talking to Allah? And I know from Allah something you don't know. This is the concluding statement. I know from Allah something you don't know. Now Mufassirun say, maybe he knew from Allah that Yusuf will come back. Possible. Because he did interpret Yusuf's dream as a child, right? He's the one who heard the dream and was in awe. So he knew what the dream meant too. So it could be that because he knows that, he knows that relief is coming. And he's never going to lose hope. But just because he knows relief is coming, doesn't mean the time you're going through waiting for that relief gets any easier. That still gives you hope, but pain is still pain. 
the Prophet ﷺ was promised victory, but that doesn't mean those years before the victory became easy, right? Aisha radiallahu anha was in through the words of the Prophet ﷺ, indirectly told Allah will prove her innocence, but the, the hardest moments of her life were after that statement, not before. Right? So just because you have the promise of relief doesn't mean that you feel relieved. That's a component of relief, but pain is still pain. It's to give you an analogy, if somebody is going through a lot of physical pain, right, and they're being told you cannot be given anesthesia, but this pain will be completely gone in 12 hours. The good news is it will be gone in 12 hours. That good news gives you strength, but the next 12 hours are still gonna hurt. It's still gonna hurt. That's not gonna go away. And you're still going through it, and that doesn't mean you don't believe it's gonna be over. So you being hurt, don't you believe it's going to be over? Why are you still complaining of pain? No, pain is still pain, even though relief is coming. You understand? So both of them have been balanced remarkably in this ayah. So now, one meaning is, I know from Allah that relief is coming, something you don't know. And I won't be telling you that. One interpretation of it. Another interpretation of it is, I have a kind of relationship from with Allah that you don't know anything about. I know something about what it means to hold on to hope with Allah. And to take my complaints to Allah And in this is one of the most beautiful realities of a believer That I have ever come across in my study of the Qur'an When does a person cry? I can think of two scenarios Crying because of something in this world And crying to Allah There's a spiritual crying And there's an emotional crying, right? And the spiritual crying, if you've had it, are some of the most beautiful moments in your life, yes or no? As a believer, the closest you ever felt to Allah is when tears were rolling down your eyes, praying to Him. Yes or no? Now, some of the toughest moments of your life, some of the hardest moments of your life, are when you're shedding tears, not to Allah, but because of people. Right? And the tears that we spread, we cry to Allah Are actually the greatest treasures that we have as for our hearts Actually we long that we should get those genuine tears again Because if you've experienced that The kind of tranquility your heart feels after that Is indescribable with words It can only be experienced, it can't be described What Yaqub alayhi salam has done is something I would say It's one of the most remarkable things It's the height of sabr This is what I think sabr jameel actually means now I thought I knew what sabr jameel means When I was describing it to you Beautiful patience, beautiful patience, beautiful patience But as I read this ayah I'm like I think I need to go back and Rethink about sabr jameel Why? He takes tears That are meant to be That were caused by people Weren't they caused by people? And he turns them into tears He's crying to Allah He turns the moments he, he turns the emotions That are the ugliest A human being can face in this life And he's converting them Into a conversation with Allah Crying before Allah To, to help you visualize Or to, to bring this closer to home what, what he's done You remember how Bin Yamin was abused by his brothers? I want you to use your imagination When he met Yusuf And Yusuf said, I am your brother You don't have to feel bad anymore I'm here for you now And in that moment If Binyamin started telling him The bad things he went through 
and cried. While he's crying, isn't he also feeling relief? Because now there's someone who loves him, who's hugging him, who he can tell all of this to. This is what they did. This is what they said. This is what they did. This is what they said. This is what they said about you. This is what they said about mom. And even as he's talking, can he even keep his composure? He can't. You know, sometimes your own child, when they're little especially, when they get hurt, and they're not talking, and then finally they want to talk to you, and they're hugging you and crying, right? And they feel the most attached to you in those moments, right? There's one they were crying in the, they, they fell and they got hurt and they cried in the playground, and then the boo-boo got better. And then they came home and mom says, what's this? Ah! And then they cry all over again. Because now they have the loving embrace of the mother to let it all out again. It's like that with Yaqub He takes that pain. And you know when you're looking for someone that loves you, that you can talk to, that you can lean on their shoulder and cry on it and find that relief. And we should find that in human beings. He's learned to find that with Allah. So he takes his complaints, his tears, his sadness. He, takes his, he talks to Allah about how sad he feels. His heart cries to Allah. Ya Allah, this is what I'm feeling. He has this most, you know, when we talk about what hurt us, we don't talk just to anybody about what hurt us. And you know, if you're, if you're having a conversation about something that hurt you, if it really hurt you, you're not going to be able to have that conversation without breaking down. You can't. And you must really trust someone to let them in on that part of your life. You can't just talk to somebody about what hurt you and if you are in the habit of doing that with everybody you meet, <laughs> then those feelings are no longer genuine and you're just looking for fake sympathy. Right? Just make memes about it then. That's that's better for you. Right? But when you find someone you can trust and you open up to them and you open your heart up to them and those tears come out, come out those are beautiful moments where you find comfort in someone. His sabr against what his sons have done have become sabr jameel because he's taking those tears to who? To Allah. He's taken the ugliest thing and made it into the most beautiful thing. They're angry that he's crying. They're saying, you're going to die doing this. In, the, in other words, they, this is the last thing I'm sharing with you, I promise. They're telling him, stop thinking about Yusuf, stop complaining, stop remembering him, because the thought of Yusuf is killing you. You need, to take, move, you need to move on. You need to move past your trauma. You need to let go of the delusional idea that he's alive. Just let go of that. Why are you still holding on? And it's incredible that that grief and that sadness and the anxiety of not knowing where he is because he keeps taking that grief and that sadness to who? To Allah. Allah gives him a sweetness inside of him, a jamal, a beauty in his sabr that can only come from Allah. He says, I have no, I know from Allah something you don't know. I experience from Allah something you have no clue about. My heart has come to know something from Allah that you have no knowledge of. You just can't see it because you've never had that conversation. You've had that conversation with walls in front of your heart. You can just, you can drop Allah's name to yell at me. This is your relationship with Allah. My relationship with Allah is very different. It's very different. It's such a 
powerful dimension of this statement and the cross-section between emotional life and spiritual life and how they clash against, they, they fuse into one another in this timeless wisdom dropped by Yaqub that Allah decided to make a part of his Qur'an. We are we're blessed to have this, this, this remarkable wisdom from this man that is captured in Allah's own words. قَالَ إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَثِّي وَحُزْنِي إِلَى اللَّهِ وَأَعْلَمُ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ So I, I know how to have hope in Allah. I know how to talk to Allah. I know how to find consolation with Allah. I know how to find comfort in Allah. I know how to cry in front of Allah. I know how to open up about everything I'm going through in life with Allah. I know that kind of relationship that you don't have yet. May Allah give us that kind of intimate relationship with Allah. Especially for those of us that don't find a relationship of support like that in their life. May Allah give you that kind of lifelong support and beautiful sabr in the connection you find with your Rabb. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim and I apologize for the super long session and that's the ayah number. Okay.